I'm Sheila Jazz, and welcome to Flow, where we discuss the power and the problems of conversation. It's June, and that means it's National Indigenous History Month on Turtle Island, also known as Canada, where we carve out a special time to recognize and honor First Nations, Inuit, and Métis people's history and culture. Now, I had wanted to speak with our guest today as soon as we had a spot on the program. So I will admit this is a happy coincidence because that opening was now. Today, I'm speaking with the Indigenous aunties of the podcast, Auntie Up, award-winning writers, producers, and podcasters, Jolene Banning and Kim Wheeler. Their program really grabbed me as it introduced me to the concept of the auntie in Indigenous cultures, this role of the female elder who guides younger members of the community. I thought it embodied a distinct kind of conversation, one of trust, truth, caring, and kindness. Though all of us, even those outside the Indigenous community, have aunts who are our family, or older family friends we may endear with this title, like my Auntie Jean. The Indigenous auntie, it seems to me, has stronger bonds and deeper responsibilities to reach and teach their youth. And these two aunties, along with Tanya Talaga as executive producer of the show, have taken on that role with gusto updating it with a modern twist for the realities of many Indigenous living off the reserve. In addition to our more local listeners in North America, I know that here on Flow, we have a growing audience in South America, Europe, Africa, and Asia. And hello to you all. And though I'm obviously hoping many Indigenous youth and older youth together with non-Indigenous Canadians, will gain from our episode, I am sure that our exchange will also speak to those outside our coasts. Because for all of us, the Indigenous legacy is an inextricable part of colonial history, and that means world history. Even though most of us were not born at the time of some of the earlier decisions and injustices, we all have inherited, for good and for bad, the effects. And it's time we all become part of their conversation. If you do lend an ear today, I think like me, you may be happy at how much we have in common and humbled by how much there is to learn. Daz, daughter of immigrants speaking today from Montreal, which is the traditional territory of the Ganagahaga or Mohawk people. Let me lay out why I'm excited about our episode today. Now, there are lots of great Indigenous podcasts from Unreserved to Indigenista, which one of our guests uh, told me about the other day. But one of the reasons why I love this podcast, Anti Up, is because of the specific role of the auntie as a special guide or mentor. So with that, I'd like to welcome our guests, uh, two hosts and producers of Auntie Up. First, uh, Jolene Banning, who is uh, Anishinaabe Ojibwe from uh, Fort Williams First Nation. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you. <laughs> and also Kim Wheeler, uh, Anishinaabe uh, and Mohawk from the uh, uh, San King First Nations. Saging First Nations. San King First Nations. I hope I got that right the second time. Uh, it's close. <laughs> uh, AKA Winnipeg, who's also a 60, 60 Scoop survivor. So welcome to Flow. Thank you. I was just reading 
in the Vogue magazine. I don't know if you guys saw this issue in uh, March of uh, 2022. There was an Indigenous woman from um, Ontario, a Christian Allaire, who was talking about aunties. And she was talking about it in um, with, with the idea of style as being an auntie. And I just wanted to read for you what she wrote and get a little bit your reaction. She says, in many Indigenous families, aunties are the matriarchs who carry forward our traditions. Though the moniker auntie is more a term of endearment for Indigenous elders, they can be your literal aunts, a close family friend, or a respected figure in your community. Regardless, they teach the next generation our tribe's special customs so we can continue championing our heritage and keep our culture alive. This is especially important given our people's history, that there was once a time where our customs were legally banned. Of course, Indigenous women have always played a crucial role in maintaining the well-being of our communities. Um, do, do you guys feel that's pretty accurate, how, how you guys would approach that relationship? Or would you want to add something? Maybe I could start with Jolene. Uh, yeah, no, I totally think that definition is pretty spot on. And, and Kim, is there anything that might come to mind that uh, you would add or? Yeah, well, for sure. I think that, um, you know, what the what the writer said was definitely, you know, who we are as aunties and as matriarchs. Um, and sometimes, you know, being the matriarch of a family is kind of a hard role to be in. I'm, you know, like even last night, um, I'm reconnecting with one of my birth sisters um, who I did have a connection with previously. And, um, you know, the first time around, it didn't go so well. And now we're trying again. And so we went, um, I was invited over to her, her son's house. And, you know, I see myself as um, like all of my friends are the same age as me. And I just assume everyone is the same age as me. <laughs> So, you know, in that, so then when you're in that space, everybody is equal in the circle, right? But, you know, they invited us for dinner. And when it came time to serve the dinner, I was prepared to get up off the table to go and get it. And then, um, and they just, they served me and they served my husband. And I realized, oh my God, like in, in our culture, this is how it's done. And and they are looking at me as the oldest person in this room. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's really nice to be served, but it's also a little unnerving to be served in that manner. So, yeah, you're being honored. But what's unnerving? Is it if you feel you're, you're not ready for that or? Like I'm old, man. <laughs> <laughs> or wise or wise. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I yeah. Yeah. I was told I have pearls of wisdom, and um, you know, but I drop them with a lot of f bombs. So <laughs> whatever works. <laughs> um, and I also wanted to ask you guys, you know, your inspiration a bit for this show. Um, like, who were your maybe professional aunties? Maybe I'll start this time with Kim and then and then go back to Jolene. Sure. Well, you mentioned Unreserved off the top, and I don't know if you know this, but I was a producer on that show for three seasons. Okay. Um, and started it when I started on the show when it was a regional show um, with Rosanna Deerchild, who is actually one of my very best friends. And then it went on to uh, a national platform where most Canadians and now Americans have also um, become familiar with it as it also airs on, I think it's called Native One in the U.S. Um, so, of course, you know, and again, I see everybody in my circle <laughs> as, you know, as an equal. So whether they're older than me or younger than me, I think we're all still doing the same work. But I would be remiss if I did not say um, my husband's mother, Bernalda Wheeler, who 
was a host producer on the on the precursor to Unreserved, which was called Our Native Land, which aired on CBC on the public broadcaster in the 70s and 80s. So she was doing the same kind of work that I'm doing now and actually left actually left CBC radio for the very same reasons I left like 30 years later, which was, you know, that that they wanted um, white producers running the show and not indigenous ones. Hmm. Hmm. So that, that culture hadn't changed in 30 years. Nope. And it still hasn't. Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. And Jolene? Yeah. Um, I think like for me, what, like what started it off was being in like working for a media company and realizing that I'm not hearing stories that I can relate to. I'm not hearing stories of people with similar interests or backgrounds or experiences me. It would be, you know, very few and far between. Would you hear a story come out? Like, I remember um, when Martha Troyan did a documentary of of her mom escaping residential school. And I just remember like thinking, I need to like lock myself in an office and just listen to this because it was the first time in a long time that, you know, you heard a documentary on our experiences. So it was like, I would always look for those people that were telling those stories. And I think some of my my favorites. Um, well, that's probably why I, I was so attracted to Tanya Talego because she was writing stories about like my community and she wasn't from here. Um, but in, in where I lived in Fort William First Nation, right next to the city of Thunder Bay, I mean, we were lucky if we had one journalist covering our issues or our stories that that mattered to us. Uh, so, I mean, it was trying to find podcasts that had similar people like similar interests and experiences so I found Media Indigena and I love that podcast um finding Alicia Elliott like I love her writing and just you know unreserved and it was it was great uh APTM like it was it was nice finding people and stories that you could relate to and looking in media you want to find a representation you want to find stories where where you could see yourself and trying to seek out those authors and and people that are telling those stories and when you don't find them I think that's what encourages you to say well if you can't find it let's make it and that was probably what what got us started on Antioch was realizing that um, if we wanted to hear these stories then then chances are so did other women yeah we have I have to also mention Connie Walker as well does with her uh, with her podcast over on Gimlet um, and of course she started, again, she started with the public broadcaster and moved away to, um, to another organization that I guess was helpful in the way she wanted to tell her the stories that she's telling now. And, and Kim, could you just, uh, tell me the name? I'm not sure I quite caught the name of her podcast. Connie Walker. And so her podcast is, um, stolen. And then she's had three seasons now. And the first season was, um, they were, it was Who Killed Alberta Williams. The second season was, I can't remember. It was a a search for a 60 scoop uh, person um, who, well, I'm like, is it a spoiler for say? The person was already dead, but they wanted to find their family and help the family have closure, I believe. And then, and now the third one is um, St. Michael's and it tells the story of her father who was in residential school and she didn't actually know any of his stories. So now she's, um, she's looking into, you know, what her father went through. So that's some really, like for that, that's really, really personal storytelling. Um, And I've done that as well. And so I know how difficult it is to be, really honest about um, your own truth. Mm-hmm. And I always say to people, like when we discuss, you know, like I did a, a one-off 30-minute doc and Connie's is an entire season, um, you know, like if we are asking our subjects to be honest with us, then it, it's equally fair that we are just as honest. And you have to go to a really vulnerable place 
But it's interesting you you, you say that because um, as a listener um, of, of of your podcast, um, I mean, one of the things I did notice is is the the role you guys construct as as truth tellers as 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 the anti-truth teller and who's going to speak it like it is and and so definitely share that truth and then let other people encourage that and i have to say those stories um really did strike me i mean they they they, they penetrate you and i mean i i think there there was one i mean many <laughs> but one in particular about the murdered and missing uh, women and girls. And I think that was by, um, with Gladys. Um, Radic and uh, Pam Palmetter. Yeah, and um, hearing her voice talk about, um, I believe it was her aunt who had gone um, missing, Tamara? Her niece. Oh, her niece, she was the aunt, yeah. And, And hearing her voice, and hearing her kind of lived truth just really reverberates with the listener. And I think, you know, um, I'm sure that's hard to go through, but it definitely has an effect. I mean, you, you hear the hardship. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that we wanted to do with Antioch was to, was to create the space for Indigenous women to more fully tell their stories. Um, Because usually we're getting them in 30 second sound bites, a quote in an online article. We're not, you know, they're not given the space to really dig into the emotion and the trauma and the resilience of the work that they do. Well, I'm I'm glad you guys have have created um, that space and I wanted to to think about also um, who you've created that space for, and you've already alluded to it, I think, but I would like to draw it out a bit more. Um, I could get really particular that way um, uh, because you announce every episode that this is uh, by Indigenous women, for Indigenous women, and about Indigenous women. But at the same time, I mean, I did hear you guys open that audience up also to like two-spirited folk and you know, other indigenous at certain times and then and then even like um, non-indigenous. But first, I, I'd really like to focus on the idea of the indigenous woman. Why did you guys feel it was really important to highlight that person um, as your listener? Like not your unique listener, but like as a kind of important listener for you. Well, I think you just sort of hit it uh, on the head when you when you just talked about one of the episodes, right, about murdered and missing Indigenous women. And right now we are um, the like the sad statistic is that we are the most at risk for experiencing violence. We are the most marginalized. Our voices are not really given this, the time and space that that they that they deserve and that they need. And so, um, from the beginning of the colonial project, when it came to um, settlers coming to Canada, uh, like I think it was a big shock to them to to see what role women played on Turtle Island. And since the beginning of the colonial project one of their goals has always been to silence us and to remove us from that role of having a place of power in the community, of having a voice in the community. And they've tried other tactics just to silence us. You know, if they're not trying to silence us, then they're trying to destroy us by taking our children. They're trying to destroy us by taking our land. And we have so many reports that highlight you know, how at risk we are. And I think that the only way to, uh, like one of the ways to combat that is to give us this opportunity to share our experiences and our knowledges, because like, we know what the colonial project is all about. Like we know how they've tried to silence us and we know the tactics that they use, but at the same time, like we're still here. 
right? And there's a reason we're still here. And there's a reason that we're not going anywhere. And it's because we know how to create these systems of, you know, relationships. And we know how to um, depend on one another and how to, you know, celebrate our accomplishments and our strengths. And so by centering these voices and these stories, it's just an opportunity to let women know that they're not alone. Yeah. And to encourage other women to, to speak their truth and to celebrate the work that they're doing, whether it's, you know, tanning a hide or getting their masters of law, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And to celebrate like whatever achievements are being made and, uh, you, you mentioned a couple things there. Um, one um, that I, I've, I've noticed in, in how you guys bring out your podcast is the idea of relationships. And I'd like, I would like to dip into that in just a bit, a bit more. Uh, I think it's a really fundamental part of your, your podcast. And I think it speaks a lot to, well, just some wonderful uh, ways of, of being together and, and connecting. But I also would like to hear from Kim, if, if, if you could maybe um, add at all to like how it might be that, I mean, indigenous people as a whole have been silenced. I mean, having the language uh, really taken away from them and, you know, in residential schools and and, and, in day schools and other things, but are there other like historical uh, laws or practices that um, have come into being that you think in particular um, like singled out indigenous women um, for for prejudice. Um, yeah, it's called the Indian Act. <laughs> it's called. Could you just elaborate though a bit on that for our listeners? I was thinking one of the one of the things that have targeted women, uh, indigenous women especially, is forced uh, forced sterilization, um, where they have been sterilized against their will and without their knowledge, whether that was in residential school um, or if they were in hospitals and giving birth and doctors just, you know, decided that they were not going to have any more children. And, um, and you know, so that story is one that isn't very well known. Um, and, you know, like as we go through um, you know, through the years and the decades, these stories become more and more well-known. And then the, you know, the legacy media or the mainstream media kind of start to latch onto them and, and start to tell them more widely and more fully. Um, but then they also just, those stories also disappear. So, you know, you know, I'm sure people, uh, it was especially within Canada here four or five years ago when um, the media, CTV, CBC, they did these big, huge stories on missing and murdered Indigenous women. And they built databases and they interviewed families and they had profiles up and they all won amazing awards. And then that was the end of the project. Mm-hmm. And it hasn't been kept up, mm-hmm. but our women are still going missing. They're still being murdered. And the media has now moved on to reconciliation. Mm-hmm. Well, we can't, re- you know, we can't reconcile this country while our women are still being targeted, attacked and being disappeared. Yeah. I mean, there's so much um, wrong and, and sad about that. Um, I don't have the words actually uh, to speak to that, but it's it's something that um, you see in, in in that indigenous women and let's you know say like in this sort of systemic way are being have been and are being forgotten by the justice system or or continue to be because you know you know when jolene said that you know they take our children away well they're still doing that today through 
Child and Family Services. So it started with Indian residential schools, then it moved to the 60s group, and now it's still happening um, with with Child and Family Services. Yeah, birth alerts. Whichever it is in your product. I had heard I had heard one like one positive uh, example uh, that has stopped that. I think it's in in um, Kauesis uh, First Nation where they uh, reclaimed their rights to kind of you know deal uh, and, and like foster their own children within in the within the community. Yeah, I think that that, that that's happening in a few communities um, across the country, but you know in each province. Uh, the child family services is run provincially, right? So it's with, you have to deal with, um, you have to deal with the local government or the provincial government. It's not federal, but when it comes to things like healthcare for indigenous people, for first nations, or to get your status card, that's all done federally. So they can't decide who is supposed to, you know, quote unquote, be in charge of us. And as Jolene mentioned, you know, the Indian Act, right? They, uh, it, it's it, like, it's a, it's such a complicated relationship to have to, you know, try and explain. And I don't think, you know, like, I don't think we can do that. I mean, you probably have to take a bachelor a bachelor's degree to really dig into into all of it and see where you know where it went right and where you know went horribly wrong yeah and the whole thing too about like well you know federal and provincial arguing over you know who's responsible uh it's it's like it's another tactic to not be responsible mm-hmm. you know and then it's just like another gap where indigenous people fall through yeah. So um, you see that like with our health care, you see that with our with our child welfare, you see that with our um, medical, with our education. And it's like it's always just a tactic that the government will use to avoid being responsible and then, you know, tie things up in in legal cases like it has for the last 40 years with child welfare or you know this is why things like um jordan's principle came about because this young boy jordan anderson jordan river anderson died in hospital because the provincial and federal government are fighting about who's going to cover his medical bills oh my goodness should have been covered regardless and it should have just been covered and like, let's worry about it later. But instead, these two government bodies had to fight over, you know, who's going to foot the bill for this, this, this small child and the small child lost his life. And so wow. have yeah. advocates like Cindy Blackstock that are fighting for children, First Nations children to basically have a life like it seems, you know, it seems so simple too, right? Like, where is your humanity? Yes. I was exactly yeah. thinking of that. I mean, what a what a terrible display of a total lack of basic, basic humanity. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Another story springs to mind, and it's not as tragic, but the federal government uh, fought this one um, family or First Nation to... Um, I don't know if it went all the way to the Supreme Court, but um, there was a fight to pay for a young girl's braces, $8,000, and they fought them all the way, uh, all the way up to whatever, maybe the Supreme Court of Canada, and had like $100,000 in lawyer fees. I'm sure at least. (laughs) Yeah. But this is this is one of the things that that you don't see in media. Like you'll get these these clips and these quotes about how indigenous people are such a drain on society because, you know, we're advocating for water on our reserve or we're advocating for a high school on a reserve. And then we get told that we're such a drain on society. And if we want a high school and we want to send our kids to high school, why don't we move to the city? You know, as opposed to like us just saying like, what's, why can't we have a school? Why can't we have drinking water? Mm -hmm. And 
And that's been going on. I mean, you guys will know better than me, but like for over a decade, uh, the, the, the call for clean drinking water, isn't it? Way more than a decade. Yeah, yeah. Like, all for clean drinking water started when uh, we were forced onto reserves. You, legacy, like the point is, is that legacy media will come up when, whenever there's, when there's a big, yeah. whenever someone's upset and we say like enough is enough and we do something, we do something radical. Like, you know, we, I don't know, we will do you hold the rally block a block a highway or something and then media will come in and they'll they'll give you the sensationalized news of why we're doing this but they don't necessarily dive into the history or if they do dive into the history they don't follow up with how much the government actually spends or costs in in like what Kim's saying about how much how much they'll spend in, in legal fees to fight us yeah you know, they're still doing their part as a colonial legacy uh, media company in in keeping the public educated to us being less than less than human. We don't we don't we don't we never get the full picture. And, you know, the way you're talking makes me think about your episode um, on uh, water, the water walker that you had last season. And um uh, one of your guests was saying um, how important it was to have a reciprocal relationships like with within, um, you know, and I, I know there are many different uh, indigenous cultures and we're not going to talk about like one like pan or indigenous culture across across um, the country. But she was saying that there's this emphasis on relationships like to your ancestors, to the future generation and also to the land. And it, it stayed with me. Um, I think she spoke so, so beautifully also about that in terms of relationships to nature and sort of echoing what you're saying, Jolene, I, I hope you can hear where I'm going a bit. She, she was saying, you know, um, it's like with water, you don't want to just take, but you want to also give and and she was talking about, say, taking in terms of swimming and enjoying, like, I do that, right? I'm sure a lot of people do. But also, where do we honor water? Where do we try to preserve it or have a ritual to draw awareness to it, to have that kind of reciprocity? Because if we're taking, we need to be giving. And, you know, it 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 just is there that I think the 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 history has been one where We've been the the non-indigenous community, the Canadian community from, you know, the start of colonialism forward has been one of taking. Um, and um, we can see that in resources. And you guys were, you know, you can see that in culture. You can see that with language. But, I mean, we're talking about, like, money. You can see that really clearly in resources. And I don't think that's talked about uh, also <laughs> um, that much today. Um, as well, and that we might need to be thinking about some kind of greater reciprocity. Uh, I So I live in Winnipeg, um, where the water for the city comes from Sholake First Nation. And Sholake First Nation was accessible by boat or winter road up until two years ago, maybe two years ago. And then there was a push by Indigenous people, by First Nations people, to really um, get an all-season road built. So, so the people of Shoal Lake would um, be able to access their community year-round because they also had um, the, a ferry, and the ferry didn't always work right or it ran two times a year or two times a day and you know if the weather was bad they couldn't go on the ferry and and so why is it that you know a city of 750 800,000 people who pay for their water that some of that money couldn't go and build an all access road decades ago Right. So when I work with when I work with organizations here, um, non-indigenous organizations, and I'm in particularly thinking of the Royal Manitoba Theater Center, um, and they wanted to do a land acknowledgement, I encourage them not only to think about the land, but to think about the water 
and to think about the people that make their homes around the downtown core area. And whether that means they, you know, live within that area or they are living on the street, that their audience who comes down to the theater, they're mostly white, <laughs> 60, 65 plus audience is, is not saying, I'm afraid to go down there, but instead look around and think about the people who were there, how they got there, and what our role overall has been to keep them there. Yeah. And, and so, you know, when you think about like the land and the water that and reciprocity, I think that's, you know, also part of it because you have to recognize it before you can reconcile it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a it's a really super stunning example. Um, yeah, I Jolene, think be, I think that you can't be afraid either to say how you benefit mm -hmm. in Canada. Like, there's there's a big um, push to deny mm -hmm. what was taken from us and the horrors that we've experienced. And I mean, in this day and age, like, there should be no denying. Indian residential school. Yeah. And yet still, you know, with, with bodies being recovered, you can still see denialism. And it's like, we can't, I don't think that we can reconcile if we can't even admit the truth. I mean, I agree. I agree. And I think, um, I mean, I think shows like yours and I, I, I and like so many other um, in, Indigenous writers and journalists and you know, people in the community just speaking out uh, have been uh, bringing uh, more attention. And you know, it's it's kind of stunning to me. It's uh, that that these things would be denied, especially after last year, um, where I think you know um, the the discoveries were just uh, crushing for every person in those like first nations. Um, but every person who was just seen, I mean, just on a basic human level. So, yeah. Um, I hope that the nihilism definitely does, um, come to an end and we, we begin to think, uh, definitely more in these terms of, of reciprocity and, 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 and awareness and, um, and, and, and no longer in terms, I think of exploitation, which I think has been really prevalent. I, I would like to change course a little bit, um, although this is um, really important, uh, I think, part of the, the realities that need to be brought forward. Um, but I would like to talk about also the, the format of how you bring those stories forward and that you've chosen uh, to have for each episode two co-hosts, and then a few invited guests. Um, what led you to want to have that kind of format for these discussions? I feel like Jillian wants to answer this one. Go ahead. Well, it's, be, it's because I really love this. Uh, I love the format of our, of our show. And I, I just, the reason why we have more than one auntie and the reason why we try to invite other aunties on is because as much as I know, or as much as Kim knows, we know that we don't know it all. <laughs> like we know that there are other aunties out there that have more knowledge than us. And maybe we know something that they don't know. And so this is the way it is. And this is what we're talking about relationships, right? Like we're cultivating our relationships with our aunties across the board because together we're trying to like lift each other up. And um, it was important for us to get aunties uh, from across Turtle Island because everyone has varying degrees of experiences and knowledges. And even like what we get from the land is different in different areas of Canada because our geographical, like our landscape's different, right? Like I'm right here on the Canadian Shield and Kim's more like 
around the prairies sort of, you know? So like there's different experiences and knowledge because we all get knowledge from the land as well as our ancestors and from one another. So that's why it was really important for us to include voices across Turtle Island. And I don't know if Kim wants to add anything to that. Yeah, I think it was just, you know, about giving as much space as possible to Indigenous women's voices. And, you know, we know that some of our co-hosts were, are, um, have been broadcasters, some are professors, and some, you know, they, in talking with them, we see that we see their role in the community and that their voices are just as important as um, people like mine or Jolene or Tanya's who have been um, in the media for, you know, 20, 30 years. And that you don't have to specifically be a media person to have a voice um, that is equally important to share on a podcast. Yeah. And there's something I felt I, I, I heard from you guys here, and I, I've heard it in your podcast, a sense of humility, um, also before knowledge, um, and, and learning from each other. And I see how it works in the podcast, which is really nicely. I mean, you learn from each other in, in, a, in a fun and, and supportive way, even sometimes when the subjects are not easy, um, but, but uh, that you're, you're building community, it seems, as you're sharing and learning and like in one of your podcasts, um, I think you were talking about lateral kindness versus lateral violence and how that lateral kindness that that you you help build each other up. Yeah, like that episode for me was such a learning opportunity because I've like I've heard about lateral kindness before, but some of the things that Audrey was teaching us that day, I was like even as a host I feel like I'm always learning something new and when she had talked about how many compliments of kindness a person needs to really you know I don't know if she said the word thrive but it was like to kind of feel good about yourself right like you should be hearing so many compliments per day and it really got me thinking and so here I am a host, but I'm also learning. And I feel like the same way for almost all the episodes that we've had so far, I might be interested in it. And maybe I know a little bit about it, but I always learn something new. Yeah, well, um, I was learning <laughs> every episode. Um, and I and I think, uh, you know, um, when when you can also take that attitude of of being kind to, to people around you, you bring out the best in them, and that's well, it's good also for the the communities um, when people are able to thrive. Um, and sometimes it doesn't take that much; it just takes a different orientation, like being more supportive with kind words, compliments. Um, yeah, one of the things that. Um, that I learned this year, um, besides, you know, lateral kindness and giving people a lot of compliments, is telling people that you love them. Mm -hmm. um, I lost a really, a really close friend at the beginning of the year. And our circle of friends, um, we now say to one another, I love you. When, you know, we're hanging out, or we're finishing talking, we just, we just say it because we know that you know, life is short and maybe one day you're not going to be there. And you, you like for us, we want our, our close friends to know that I love you. Mm -hmm. That's, um, that's really a uh, brave. And, um, I think, yeah, if we could maybe be more honest, you were talking about honesty earlier, um, and saying those sorts of things, especially, with loss. And also, I'm sorry that you went through that. Um, and you guys are showing love, I think, for for people around you, you might not always be saying it, but I think you are showing it. And um, I think um, some things that come out in, in the podcast is also that you um, are really reaching um, beyond 
people who are say just close to you, you're talking right now, Kim, about people who you're seeing people in your life, but you're going further than that too. And really trying to reach people who are like, you know, from coast to coast to coast. And, and you're trying to show them that, that, that love. Um, do, do you think like with the platform of, of, of the podcast um, that there've been any moments where you felt that's working, like we are connecting um, with people who otherwise might not have that, that relationship, say with an auntie, maybe who were dislocated from their family or, or in a new city or something of that nature? Yeah, I think, I think we have, I mean, we've gotten messages on social media from people who have said they listened to this episode or that episode and, um, and, you know, they just, they've really enjoyed the conversation and that they have, you know, that they learned something and, and it's not always just from indigenous women. It is also from non-indigenous people and, and um, sometimes maybe a white man. And that's always, you know, even though we say our podcast is by, for, and about Indigenous women, of course, you know, as I think Jolene has said before, everybody is invited into the circle to sit and listen and learn. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, that is, that's important to me. Jolene, did you have any other comments on that or? Well, no, like I, I I think it's important for, yeah, this podcast is for us, us women, just, I think mainly so that women can know that they're not alone in the work that they're doing so that other women can find women in their community and know that this work's being done. Um, and I think to build the, the the bigger community to know that, you know, that we're not alone. But I do think that it's important for more than just women to be engaged and learning from this podcast, because how else are you going to know how to be a better ally? How else are you going to know um, when to maybe stop something or to stand up and speak out about something? Right. So we hope that this podcast is is a tool for people to see where they fit and to see what systemic racism looks like from our point of view. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to to be better allies and to like to be in relationship with us and, and to to do your part in making sure that we're not at most risk. And I think actually in part like what what the the format allows is is the storytelling and through storytelling i think you know all kinds of people can connect um and and feel and understand uh, what's happening and and like in a far better way than um just reading maybe the stats or even um you know, legal decisions in, in history in hearing the stories, hearing the effects of certain um, things um, definitely is a way to connect and also a way to connect, which I, I, I also really, I really do love the podcast, but one thing I like about it is the range um, because you don't only focus on, um, you know, like all the stuff is serious, but you don't always focus on like, let's say the heavier um, issues statistics and <laughs> no you don't and there's a lot of laughter and I mean there were two episodes I guess that um were like easier for me to enjoy <laughs> like just enjoy and enjoy the culture one was the episode on on beating and um you know just making um beautiful like pieces of art and jewelry and celebrating that together and, and finding a a way back to culture by this cultural experience. I found that empowering actually, um, for, for like, not for me, um, but for others, I thought, wow, what a beautiful kind of example to share, but also the episode on, on Bannock and it was so live. And like Jolene, you were you were cooking Bannock, I think, for the first time. 
<laughs> is that right? And like, you were just saying like, oh, it smells so good. And I was like, oh, I bet it does. <laughs> and like, we're all so far away and I'm just imagining. And I thought it was, it was, was a wonderful way also to show how, again, going back to the idea of the different people you involve, um, the different knowledge, like you guys all have different experiences with Bannock, different recipes, secret ingredients, and you can come together in this kind of um, supportive way, which is part of your tradition, but you were also saying, and also controversial, like it's not, um, do, do you want to explain a little bit of that as well for us? Okay, so for me, there's controversy with Bannock because I will say that Bannock is a traditional food from my ancestors long before settlers came here. And there are other people that will say, no, Bannock is an introduced bread here because Indigenous people didn't have flour. That flour was introduced here. However, if you talk to locals from, especially from my area, especially people that are that are more familiar with our preserving techniques of like drying or um, hide like um, uh, you know when you when you dehydrate your food. So um, there are like I've seen recipes where acorns were dried out and ground up and that was our flour Hmm. so that means we had we were making bannock pre so this is why this is why there's controversy right because some people will say that the recipe was brought over but other people say no 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 we had our own way of making flour and it came from like acorns is just one um one of the the I guess foods from the land that that we hydrated, dehydrated, and and ground up to make flour. Of course, it wasn't fluffy like it is now. Like I think it, like I I think the descriptions read that it was maybe a little harder and maybe not quite as bannocky as. <laughs> and also, I just wanted to say, like, I think that that's why, like, why we really wanted to have those other episodes on Antiep aside from the really heavy topics, right? Because we are more than just our trauma. And even with our trauma, we still manage to, you know, to still gather and bring food. We still manage to have a laugh, even at these like saddest, darkest moments, like we can still find humor. And I feel like we needed to have these stories included as well, because we need to celebrate our strengths and the way that we get through some of these traumatic times, because we've experienced our fair share, like more than our fair share. And yet we are still here. And I think it's because of these gifts, these gifts of food and gathering and relationships and humor and, you know, beating and our art, right? Like, I think these are the, these are our tools in our, in our toolbox that help us get through these really hard trying times. And it, it does strike me as well as a non-Indigenous listener um, to, again, like get beyond like a statistic and, and to think, wow, this is a, a thriving community. These are thriving people, creative and, and funny and, um, you know, starting businesses and all kinds of things. And I think it's really important in, in so many uh, different areas to, to, to paint that full picture. Mm-hmm. So, so people can relate. And, and as, as you said, like before people were uh, some people anyway, um, might be talking about, oh, you know, indigenous people are a drain on, I don't know, the economy or something, but what does that even mean? (laughs) And like, who are these indigenous people and what are their lives? What are their stories and, and what are their needs? And I think you guys um, with your storytelling and, and the multiple points of view, I mean, well, it just sucked me in. It's really, really compelling. Um, And I want to actually, with that, acknowledge that, woohoo, you have a second season. Yes. And, <laughs> and um, congratulations on that. Thank you. And I, I understand that you've uh, just started recording for that. Yes, we have one episode recorded. We're getting ready for our second recording next week. Super. And could I ask, um, do you have an idea about the date when you might like, uh, like open the season? 
June 21st. June 21st? National Indigenous Peoples Day. Yes. We'll launch our second season. um, And we are going to kick it off with a topic that isn't easily discussed um, openly or freely within within our communities, within our own homes. Um, It's about sexual health. And it's from menstruation to menopause. Hmm. That's really interesting. Um, actually, yeah, because I think also about the role of the ante. And here you have this idea of something that's a little sometimes, um, I don't know, difficult to talk to, maybe with your own parents. And the idea of an ante being this, this um, caring um, person in your life who you can talk to about some of these issues. Um, I can't wait uh to listen yeah so and our guest is going to be dr lisa monkman who is an anishinaabe um family physician with her i think she has her own practice but she also practices on reserve as well um out in broken head here in manitoba and she might be at a couple of other uh, first nations as well that she travels around to so to have a female indigenous doctor come and talk to us um about about our own sexual health i think is going to be really empowering because again we don't always get access to people like that mm-hmm. and and that's what you know anti up is about no that's that's tremendous actually um uh i can't also wait to see what you have uh coming down after after that so we can all look forward uh, to your second um season and i guess i'd like to end With this question, um, what you both are most excited about um, moving forward with with, um, Auntie Up? Maybe um, I could start with with you, Kim. Well, this year, Jolene and I have decided to take on more responsibility. So last year, we partnered with Antica Productions, who provided editing support for us um, because we were doing video and audio this year we've decided to move just strictly to audio which Jillian and I have a lot of experience in Um, I'm just going to say it we've both won awards for our work for our audio work Jolene most recently congratulations (laughs) and uh, so we we want to we want to um, take on take on more responsibility and and truly be by for and about. Mm-hmm. And what about you, Jolene? What are you most excited about coming up? Well, I think I'm ex- I think I'm really excited that there was enough support from season one to even create a season two. Like that's to me, that's really like that really touches my heart that women have heard that women have reached out and said that they like what they hear. Um, Sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's really hard to take the compliment that people want to hear our stories, especially when you're told like a lot of times that there is an interest in, in our stories. And so to know that that's not true, to know that there is interest, like I think that that's really exciting for me. And I'm really excited about some of our topics too, because some of them are really, really heavy hitting topics. Like I think the, I think about the sexual health one and I can just like almost get teary eyed thinking about the health questions that I get asked by my doctor. And I mean, I just think about the way doctors talk to us these are things that I don't think other women go through, but Indigenous women. And so I think it's a really important conversation to have. And I think all of our topics are, are going to be good topics. But also, I'm probably a little bit biased because I helped write them. <laughs> maybe, maybe just a bit. <laughs> okay, I'm really biased. <laughs> Well, with that, I, I would like to try to thank you in Anishinaabe. I can't even say that right. I'm sorry. But it's Chimigwich. Chimigwich. Um, for spending some time with me today and um, all the best uh, with your second season. And may there be many more. 
So thank you, Kim Wheeler. And also thank you, Jolene Banning. Mm-hmm. Thanks for the conversation, Sheila. Yeah, thank you so much, Sheila. You know, if you're here, that you can follow us on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. And I welcome your feedback or suggestions, which you can drop on our voice message link. This episode of Flow was edited by Rebecca Kone, original music by Glenn Etier, and performed by Caitlin May Wong and Jonathan Zituni. And a special thanks goes to Bruce Norton. Join us next month for our final episode of season one, Languages Without Borders. I will be joined by Anne-Marie Lafortune and talking about new ways to get authentic conversations while learning second languages. Follow us to stay in the flow.